Well, good morning. Uh, I read a story of a man named Jim who is leaving church just after Christmas services, and the pastor greeted him, and the pastor said to him, Jim, it's time for you to join the army of the Lord. We need to see you every Sunday. And Jim said, well, I'm already in the army of the Lord, pastor. And he said, well, how come we only see you on Christmas and Easter then? And then Jim looks to the right, looks to the left, and whispers in the pastor's ear, it's because I'm in the secret service. <laughs> and he walks on not to see him again till Easter. Um, next week, we're going to be having lots of people at our church, and some of them are secret service agents. Um, and we are thrilled. We're thrilled that they're coming to join us on Christmas. And so uh, next Sunday, we want to encourage you, those of you who are our core uh, prodigal church members, we want to encourage you to serve at one service and attend the other uh, with friends and family. It's going to be incredible. Our kids have worked so hard, and it's so good. Our toddlers in nursery will be up here. No, probably not nursery, but our toddlers will be up here doing a couple of songs, and then we have a great PC Kids performance that will kind of go throughout the service. It's just going to be a great, great weekend celebrating the birth of our Savior in Jesus. And so we want to encourage you to invite everybody you know next week and uh, be here 15 minutes early to maybe help greet, welcome people, uh, and say Merry Christmas. It's going to be a great, great weekend. Years ago, a man found himself on a train sitting between two ladies, and unfortunately for him, the two ladies began to bicker and argue the entire trip. Uh, they were arguing about whether or not the window should be open or shut, and the lady furthest from the window argued that she would die of heat stroke if it wasn't open, and the other woman said that she would catch pneumonia and die if it was open. When the ticket taker arrived, uh, the ladies begged him to come up with a solution, but unfortunately he didn't have a solution. Finally, the man sitting between them both spoke up. He said, first open the window, that will kill the one, and then shut the window, that will kill the other, then we will have peace. <laughs> Sometimes, don't you just wish people would go away? Uh, and it, why is it during the holiday season, too, that like, it, there, people are extra on edge? There's conflict everywhere. There's conflict at your workplace. Then you go home, and you drive home. And there's conflict on the drive home, right? Someone cuts you off. Someone's going 35 in a 45. What's their deal? Uh, and then you get home and your family greets you. And your son might say, Dad, look what I broke today. And you're like, there's conflict in the house. Then you relax. You turn on the news because there's no conflict there, right? There's conflict everywhere we see, everywhere we go. Uh, some of you think, oh, I come to church, yay, everyone's going to be so friendly. Yeah, that's why we make you say hi to each other every service, right? It's because we know you wouldn't do it on your own. Uh, we all have it in our lives. If you're married, you'll have conflicts. If you have children, you'll have conflicts. If you interact with anybody ever, you will have conflicts. And I've, I've uh, as a pastor, done quite a few um, bit of uh, marriage counseling and, and, and premarital counseling, and I've discovered that there are two types of people. There are skunks and there are turtles. Uh, when there's a conflict, skunks make a big stink out of everything, right? Uh, they draw attention to it, they get all riled up, and they're not afraid to tackle the conflict head on. Uh, when there is conflict, turtles, on the other hand, tuck their head into their shell. They don't want to argue, they don't want to talk. And if you are married, guess what? One of you is a skunk and one of you is a turtle. Uh, sometimes I do think that 
My wife and I are both skunks because we're both making a stink about something. But typically, it's she might be making a, a, a stink about one thing, uh, and then I'm making a stink about the way the conflict was handled. And so we just pile that on and try and resolve it. Uh, but because Sarah and I have been married for 12 years and we live together, I, I'm not going to share with you our conflict strategies. I'd rather not get in a conflict when I get home. But I will share... Uh, growing up with siblings, some, our fair share of handling conflict wrong. Uh, in 1996, uh, I was 16 years old, and it was a big day in the Richardson household. My parents had called the, the phone company, and they got us call waiting. It was a big day. Uh, it, it, it caused an enormous amount of conflicts. My mom would threaten to take call waiting off of our phone plan because it wasn't a standard feature, right? It was special. And if you didn't have it and you were talking on the phone with someone and someone tried to call, you would get this sound. You remember that? Some of you who are under 20 have no idea what the sound is. One particular time I was waiting for a call and I knew they were going to call and my sister wouldn't get off the phone with some boy. So I try and embarrass her. And... Uh, and then uh, she, she still wouldn't do it, and I was just getting so fed up with her. And so she had this blanket that she was given when she was born, and she called it her sis. And so I go into her room, and I grab her sis. And she goes, no, John, don't. And I go, I'm throwing it in the pool. And it's in the wintertime, so I walk out of the backyard, and I, I'm holding it like, like I'm dangling a, a living person. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. Get off the phone. And she goes, John, no. John, no. And I go, I'm going to do it. Drop the sis in there. So then I start walking back into the house. She locks me out. And I was like, oh, okay. Two can play this game. And so she's got the phone on her chest. And I said, let me in. And, and then she goes, no. So I bang on the back window. And she goes, John, let me in. And I, I, go, I go, let me in, let me in. And she's like, no, John, stop. You're going crazy. And I go, let me in. And then I did one, just one extra push on the window, shatter it. There's a big window this big, and she's screaming. So then I'm like, I got to kind of go all out here because I just smashed this window over a call waiting. So I step through, and I get into the house, and I do like that, the movie serial killer head tilt, right? So I step into the house, and I go, just like that, she runs, he's going to kill me. She goes back to her room, and I'm chasing her down, and then she locks the door. She realizes she's still on the phone with her guy, right? How do you recover from that? So anyways, um, and it was this major blow-up deal. We had plenty of these bad ways of handling conflict. One time she threw a butter knife at me, got stuck in the kitchen um, uh, counter. It was, uh, we had a great childhood, but if you notice, it wasn't the call waiting that caused the big conflict. It was the breaking of the window and then the, the serial killer head, head tilt that I, when I entered the house. Uh, it's often, and I would venture to say most often, it's not the problem itself that causes the biggest conflict. It's the way we handle the conflict that makes the conflict so bad. It never works out when we respond to conflict the way we want to. Have you ever said, yeah, I'm really glad I told that person off. Super glad I didn't show them grace. Never said that. 
We must respond with wisdom, grace, and love. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. Always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. Paul speaks to this in Philippians 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be on the screens. It says this. Now, I appeal to Eudia and Syntyche. These are both female names. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. I plead with Eudia and Syntyche to agree with one another in the Lord. Paul here is writing, this church, writing to this church in Philippi, and he, start, he says this near the end of the letter, I'm, I pray that these two women that are fighting in your church would get along. We as believers have to put our differences aside and live in peace and harmony with everybody. You might be thinking, whoa, 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 just a minute. Maybe Paul's pleading with them because they were both wrong. That doesn't mean the Bible's telling me to agree with the person that I'm in conflict with because I'm right. They're the ones who are wrong, not me. Just because Judea and Syntyche have to agree in the Lord doesn't mean I have to. Let's look at a few verses and I'm going to leave these up on the screen for a second. 1 Thessalonians 5.13, live in peace with each other. Romans 12.18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. I think the Bible is pretty clear about how we are to live with other people. Uh, and I just want you to look at those verses real quick. And as you read over them, would you allow the Holy Spirit to bring to the surface someone that you perhaps are in conflict with presently. I think it's impossible to read these verses and not have an incident or a person come to mind. That's because the Bible's a mirror. It reveals to us what's going on inside. And we're going to get practical about alleviating conflict this morning. But first, let's look at how to escalate conflict. And let's see if any of you fall somewhere here. And as I read these, I, I recognize that we might see these in other people. But I want to encourage you to see if you can find yourself in these as well. These are how to escalate a conflict. Number one, be sure to let your feelings build up so you're in an explosive frame of mind. Okay? Always helpful. Number two, assume that you know all the facts and that you're totally right. Uh, three, do most, if not all, of the talking. Go beyond their actions and attack their character. That's always a good idea. View the issue as win or lose struggle. Avoid all possible fair compromises and go for total victory, unconditional surrender. And then never initiate the dialogue. Make them be the first one to take the step. After all, you're right and they're wrong. I can't help but notice so many spouses elbowing each other throughout that list. Back to Yudia and Syntyche. Here are two women, both who are committed Christians, worked side by side with the Apostle Paul. They have a disagreement, and we have no idea what they've disagreed about. I mean, Paul includes this in his letter that, be, that gets read by millions of people throughout the centuries, and he doesn't tell us what the problem is. Philippians is this amazing book with amazing theology and amazing exhortations. And Paul deals with all kinds of really big stuff. And then he just throws in this, two women who are fighting agree with each other in the Lord. 
Shouldn't he have dealt with this privately or more discreetly? Why so publicly that 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this disagreement that these two women had in the church in Philippi? Maybe because it's important for us as a church, as the church, to communicate to the world that we don't handle disagreements and conflicts the same way everybody else does. That we're able to find common ground and to work in love and mercy and grace towards healing and restoration rather than dissolving the relationship. Paul here is working for peace even among the conflict of others. We're called to be peacemakers. We talked about that last week. And conflict is at the root of so many issues and problems in our lives. And here are three things that are hindered by our conflicts. Uh, Number one, it hinders fellowship with God. You arguing and being in conflict with other people actually hinders your relationship with God. Look at 1 John 4.20. It says this, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. If you claim to love God, but you hate certain people, you're a liar. The Greek is actually liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) Ever been in a conflict in the midst of that? In the midst of that, you're starting to feel a certain distance from God. There's a reality there. Number two, it hinders our prayers from being answered. Husbands, listen to this verse, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Things not going good for you, things not going your way, treat your wife better. Uh, Chances are that other things will be out of sorts as well if your relationship with your spouse is out of sorts. Number three, it hinders our happiness. And we all know this by experience, right? You ever get in a conflict on on vacation? You can be in Bora Bora, most beautiful surroundings. Yet if you're in conflict with the person you're with, nobody's happy. They say Disneyland's the happiest place on earth. I've seen kids get beat there, right? Like here's a picture of a couple of kids at Disneyland. Like that doesn't look like the happiest place on earth to me. You could be surrounded by the greatest, most joyful, most happy things, but if we're in conflict, it ruins it, right? James 3.18 says this, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of peace, harvest of righteousness. Now we're going to get real practical in how to handle conflict in our relationships, but before we do, two big misconceptions about what peacemaking is. Number one, it's not avoiding. It's not avoiding. It's not tucking your head into a shell. Peacemaking is, 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 it's never about not addressing the issues. Well, if we just never talk about it, we live in peace. No. Instead of disarming the bomb, you've set the timer. There will still be an explosion, no matter how much you shove it under the rug. They're still ticking. Yeah, but doesn't time heal all wounds? I've heard that before. It's not in the Bible. Uh, Time doesn't heal all wounds. If that were true, there would be no need to go see a doctor. You could just go to the waiting room. (laughs) Time doesn't heal all things. Number two, uh, the second misconception is it's not appeasing. It's not appeasing. Some of us avoid conflict at all costs. And you actually might be in the right 
but you allow yourself to get run over by the other person because you just want to keep the peace. Uh, This is not what bringing peace in our relationships is about. So here's some practical applications. And I really believe that if we were to do these things, uh, we're going to find a lot more healing and a lot more peace in our relationships and in our conflicts. And I'm deeply indebted to Rick Warren, Pastor Saddleback Church, for much of what I'm going to say. Uh, He's done a lot of work on this particular topic. Here's number one, make the first move. But it's their fault. This is so hard. There are times when Sarah and I are in a conflict and that puts distance between us, right? And typically it'll be, uh, she might stay upstairs and I might just stay downstairs. Uh, Kids are in bed, but we're both at a log jam. You've had these in marriages, right? You've had these in relationships. There's a log jam. And the distance is much more than just the stairway up to to where she's at. And I know that if I were to make that journey up those stairs and say I'm sorry and be the first one to make that move, I know that it would lead us to reconciliation. It's so hard though, right? It's so hard. I don't want to make the first move. But if you want to break the logjam that you have in one of your conflicts, one of your relationships, you make the first move. And shamefully, uh, I don't always make the, right, the first move or the right move. And Sarah is the bigger person. I want to let you guys know this. The bigger one, the bigger person is the first to make the move. The bigger person is the one who says, I'm sorry, first. Uh, our relationships with others greatly matter to God. Matthew 5 says this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come to offer your gift. If you leave church before your offering today, we'll know why, (laughs) okay? But notice it does say to leave your offering. Okay, it's a joke. But I do want to say how moved we are at your generosity to Prodigal Church. Because of your generosity, we started the year off with a staff of three people, and today we have nine. Uh, And our staff is incredible, and we'd like to bless them this Christmas season with a bonus and also with future increases. Each month, our church sends money to Malawi, Africa to bless orphanages, churches, missionaries and schools in one of the poorest nations of the world. We added an additional kids classroom. We added a second Sunday morning service um, back in September. So thank you so much for your generosity to Prodigal Church. It makes a difference in our city, in our community, and in our world. Uh, And so if you're looking for a place to donate for year-end giving, I know of a great one. The passage says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Ever been in conflict, getting ready for church, or driving to church? Some of you are dealing with that this morning. Uh, Jesus is teaching us that It's better to work it out in the car than to come in here and hear me teach about conflict. It's 
Jesus is saying that your conflicted relationships are more important than coming to church. You want to be spiritual? Go do the hard work of reconciliation. Don't just come and hear a pastor talk about conflict. The only way to resolve a conflict is to face it. Number two, I begin with what's my fault. I begin with what's my fault. Uh, James teaches us this. He says in, in chapter four, verse one, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire, desires that battle within you? Isn't that interesting? What, what, what's the cause of fights and quarrels and drama in our lives? Well, it's the fights and quarrels that go on inside of us. Uh, conflict starts in you. When I'm at peace inside, I'm often not upset by what's happening outside. Uh, when arguing with your spouse, here's a phrase that you need to memorize. I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. And when then they wake up from fainting, <laughs> you can say it again. And you just might be on the other side of a conflict. Number three, listen for their hurt and their perspective. The Bible says in James also that we're supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. In all of our conflicts, we're the exact opposite, right? We're quick to speak, and we're very quick to become angry, and we're very slow to listen. Uh, when Sarah and I are in an argument, I'm sorry, intense fellowship, and uh, I often I'll find myself not even listening to what she's saying, I'm just thinking about my rebuttal. Um, and that's not listening. We're supposed to be quick to listen slow to speak. Philippians 2 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. The Greek work here for uh, look at others is the word skopos, skopos. It means to look carefully, to consider uh, it's where we get the word microscope. We have to, we as followers of Jesus, look at things beyond the surface level. We as followers of Jesus, look at things and see things that others don't see. Scopos, that jerk at work who constantly makes fun of you and people laugh at your expense. As Christians, we scopos. We see things that others don't see. We look beyond the surface level. Listen, Hurt people, you've heard this phrase before, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. If you had a supernatural glimpse into their lives, into their pain, into their heart, you'd probably show more grace. Why don't we just start with that? Because chances are we aren't going to get that glimpse. So instead, we choose love. Instead, we choose mercy. Instead, we choose grace. We scopos. Grace always precedes peace. Number four, fix the problem, not the blame. Uh, attack the issue, not each other. 
So we choose to see the goodness in this person and we listen for their hurt and we listen to their perspective. And this goes for family conflicts too, right? We gotta choose to see what's best in the other. And we normally don't do this. I normally don't do this. Uh, on Sunday afternoons, I'm tired. Uh, we're here early. We leave a little bit. We leave late. I get home. Sarah's already got the kids in bed to take a nap. And uh, <clears throat> that would be weird if they went to bed at like one. Uh, but I'll, I'll go up to Sarah and I'll say something that, or she'll say something that I don't like or that I disagree with. And I'll make the leap that she's just intentionally being mean to me, right? Uh, and I'm sometimes too sensitive. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but it's, it's true. I'll come home on a Sunday and I'll say, well, how, hey, babe, how how'd do you think the sermon went? And she go, it was good. And then her voice changes octaves. Or then she'll say, uh, there were good parts. Translation, you laid an egg on the stage today, John. And now she's probably right. But I'll walk away thinking, my wife thinks I'm a terrible pastor. Or I'll find a way to blame her for my lack of preparation. Well, if you didn't have that appointment during the week, I wouldn't have been able to study and prepare more. So it's your fault. You get up there and do a sermon then. I'm in the wrong. There would have been more good parts if you did it. That's not what I should be thinking. In the midst of conflict, both large and small, we choose to see what's best in the other person. My wife loves our church maybe more than anybody else here. She wants to see our church make a difference in the lives of people and lives of the world. And the truth is, I probably wasn't as prepared as I should have been that Sunday. I probably wasn't as well read as I needed to be. Number five, I think this is important for all of us followers of Jesus. Speak the truth tactfully. Speak the truth tactfully. This is so, so important. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But there's almost a pride in the sentiment of, I just tell it how it is. Right? I just tell it how it is. Well, that's called being rude. <laughs> right? But we play it off as if it's a positive quality when in fact, you are never persuasive by being abrasive, ever. You are never persuasive by being abrasive. This is true in parenting. If immediately we start yelling at our kids, they, they judge our reaction, they don't judge our words. Uh, if, if I raise my voice at all, uh, it evokes something in, our, in my kids where they don't even hear me, but they do see me. They hear the, the, the tone of my voice. They don't hear what I'm saying. You're never persuasive by being abrasive. And as Christians, this is so important. I just tell it how it is. So I go up to some random sinner and just tell them how it is. And then they'll never talk to me again. And they'll never want to come to my church. It, it's like a truth burrito. Okay? The truth is the beans and the salsa and the cheese and the meat and the guacamole. And love is the tortilla. It's a truth burrito. 
truth wrapped in love is much better than I just tell it how it is. Truth burrito. When you're at lunch today having some Mexican food, just remember this. I want to invite Noe and the worship band to come up, and I'll close with this. Once upon a time, there were two brothers sharing adjoining farms. For 40 years, they worked side by side, sharing equipment, helping each other whenever it was, something was needed. And then one day, a rift developed. It began after a small misunderstanding, then it grew into a major difference, and finally exploded to exchange of bitter words, followed by months of angry silence. Some of you have been there, and you're there now. One day, the eldest brother, Pete, was out in his fields when a truck pulled up, and out jumped a guy who approached Pete carrying a carpenter's toolbox. He says, I'm looking for a few days' work. Perhaps you would have a few small jobs for me to do. And Peter said, well, yes, I do. See that creek down there? That's the border between my farm and my brother's farm. And my, my brother keeps it nice and deep to stop me from setting one foot on his beloved farm. Well, well let's oblige him. I want you to build uh, a massive fence so that I never have to look at my brother's farm ever again. The carpenter was glad to have the work, and he says, no worries, mate. Apparently, he was Australian. He says, I understand. Just pull me to the post hole digger, and I'll get the job done. So the carpenter set about working. Meanwhile, Farmer Pete drove to town uh, and went to a cattle auction. When he returned at sunset, he was shocked to see what the carpenter had done. There was no fence. Instead, the carpenter built a bridge, and walking across this bridge was Pete's younger brother, and he held out his hand and spoke to his brother. He said, Pete, after all I've done to you these past few weeks and years, I can't believe that you'd still reach out to me. You're right, it's time to bury the hatchet. And the two brothers in the middle of that bridge embraced and reconciled. They turned to see the carpenter hoist his toolbox from the ground and into the back of his truck. And Pete said, no, no, wait, I've got some more projects for you. And he said, well, I'd love to stay on, but I've got more bridges to build. Maybe it was an Australian Jesus. I don't know. How can you be a person of peace? You're gonna, have, you're gonna be around some family, some you love and like, some you love and dislike. What would it mean to be a peacemaker in the midst of that? Some of you have stressful jobs in retail during this holiday season. And when people are at each other's throats, could you be at their hearts instead? Father God, I pray in Jesus' name that we become the peacemakers you have called us to be. That it wouldn't just be words in a text, words that we hear on a Sunday morning, that it would be so much more than that, God, that your, your Holy Spirit would move us to action, move us to shalom, move us to reconciliation, move us to healing, move us to texting that person we know we should, move us to calling that person that we said, I'll never speak to him again. God, I pray for reconciliation in Jesus' name. I pray for peace. I pray, God, that we would resolve conflict rather than dissolve relationships. And so for those people in this room who are struggling with a family member, a past hurt, a painful rebuke, a harsh word, a difficult insult, I pray in Jesus' name 
for your grace and mercy to overcome the fears that they may have of restoring that. Jesus, it's all about you. Help us to follow your lead in this. You forgave the people who nailed you to the cross with your last dying breath. You built the ultimate bridge. And not just our bridge to you, but the broken and shattered bridges that we have in our relationships. So Jesus, restore those this morning. Restore them this week, Jesus. We need more of you, less of us, less pride, more humility, less anger, more grace. We pray that in Jesus' name, God, that we would be partakers and sharers of truth burritos. That everything we do, everything we say would be wrapped in love. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the way. Move us to greater reconciliation, greater peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we declare the lordship of Jesus in our lives, in our cities, in our church? Your love is staying the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again. You cause your sun to shine on darkest nights. Oh, for all that you've done, we will pour out a love this will be our anthem song. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we Found its place in you. 